the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sponsored by the Law Office of Robert Bergman. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. Bob Bergman here broadcasting from my palatial offices in San Jose, California. Not really very palatial, but they're very comfortable. And uh, I'm very much enjoying my new offices here that I have uh, on Ross Avenue near Hillsdale in the Cambrian Park Avenue of San Jose. So those of you who are from the San Jose area, you probably know where that is. Um, I love this new location because it's five minutes from my children's school and about 10 or 12 minutes from my home, which makes it much easier for me to get here in the morning and also come in if I need to get some work done in an evening or on a weekend. So those of you who have a long commute, I apologize right now ahead of time for uh, the long commute that you have because I don't have that big commute anymore. I'm going to be taking calls on the air today. If you'd like to call in, the number is 800-516-1220. You can also email me if you'd like, if you have questions, to radio at lawbob.com. That's radio at lawbob, L-E-W-B-O-B dot com. Those of you who have been listening for a long time know that I do seminars regularly in in my offices, and uh, this is no exception. I think my next seminar is set for the end of this month, the uh, Saturday, the 27th. Um, Although I am doing a special seminar this coming Wednesday in the middle of the day, that's going to be unusual. Uh, It's a midday seminar, Wednesday the 17th. You can go to lawbob.com to look up more information about that or go to eventbrite.com and search for um, seminars happening on the 17th and you'll find my Living Trust seminar. I'm also planning on adding a seminar on a Sunday evening, probably starting at about 7 o'clock in the evening for those of you who can't make it on a Saturday morning or can't make it in the middle of the day. Um, That may be as soon as um, the next couple of weeks. So, uh, again, right now I'm offering my Living Trust Seminar, which is uh, a good overview of why we do Living Trust planning, including avoiding conservatorship and probate, and some of the special things I do with Living Trust planning to help families uh, pass property on to the next generation and maybe pass it on in an asset-protected manner, which I'm a big fan of, by the way. 
So again, the number 800-516-1220 if you'd like to call in. Uh, barring anybody calling in right away, I'm going to dive right into the show and talk about more questions and comments from around the state of California. Now, here's, um, let's see right here. Okay, <clears throat> here's a situation that uh, that's uh, coming out of Southern California. Uh, these people are having a big problem with the current co-trustees on a property. A petition to remove those people uh, has been filed with the court and is currently in litigation. And uh, the co-trustees have refused to object to the petition or even file an accounting, even though an accounting was demanded. There's information that they intend to sell the real estate and disappear with the money. And um, they're represented by legal counsel who just filed a motion to leave the case because of irreconcilable differences, meaning that the people are not listening to the attorney anymore. I've had that happen before a couple times in my career. And um, so here's the deal. They want to know, is there a way to actually stop the property being sold? Well, if there is litigation pending, you can file what's called a Liz Pendens, that's L-I-S-P-E-N-D-E-N-S, or Notice of Pending Action. And what that does is you file it in the county where the property is located, and that will stop a successful sale or transfer of the property until the all all the issues have been resolved with these trustees. So in a case like that, it is possible, since there's a pending petition in the court, I would see if you can actually file that Liz Pendens against the property so that it can't be sold and the trustees pocket the money and run off with it. By the way, that's called embezzlement, if you were wondering. If someone has the legal authority over property belonging to someone else, and they basically take it and convert it to their own use uh, and use it for themselves, that's called embezzlement. It's not only a civil offense that you can be sued for, but it's also probably a crime as well. Now, here's someone says, um, once my stepfather passes away, I'm the successor trustee um, for him. Now, says, my mother passed away a few months ago, and my stepfather's not offered and has, in fact, withheld any copy of the trust he had with my mother. Won't show it to me, won't give a copy to me. Don't know what legal rights I have, and am I entitled to getting a copy of the trust now or only entitled to it when my stepfather passes? The answer is the latter. As long as a portion of the trust, uh, let's put it this way. This trust, if it's a joint trust between this person's mother and stepmother, depending on what the trust says, that will determine whether or not this child has the right to a copy of the trust. If the trust requires property to be divided into a deceased spouse's share and a surviving spouse's share, with the deceased spouse's share going into an irrevocable trust, typically for the benefit of the surviving spouse, then that means that whoever the remainder beneficiaries of the trust are, which means who is going to receive the property when the uh, when both parents have passed away, 
Then there's a requirement that a copy of the terms of the trust be provided or made available to those remainder beneficiaries. So if it's not that type of trust, if it just leaves everything to the surviving spouse and there's no share that's put aside in an irrevocable trust, then there's no requirement to provide a copy of the trust to the remainder beneficiaries because they don't have any rights yet until the surviving spouse dies. So that's one of those questions where the answer depends on what does the trust say? Unfortunately, if you can't get a copy of the trust, you don't know what it says, and you don't whether know in this case whether the stepfather is just refusing to provide a copy of the trust because he wants to um, just use all the property himself and not be worried about following what the trust said. Can't really tell by looking at it what the case is. So, let's see here. Okay, those appear to be, yeah, looking here, this appears to be all variations of the same question. Now here, here someone said they're the trustee of their mother's living trust who, and the mother's past, and mom has properties in the trust. Want to begin selling the properties I need to get an estate account. Um, I need a letter testamentary in order to open an account. Do I get this from the court? Uh, which court do I have to go through? Well, in this case, if there's a trust, you want letters testamentary because that means you filed a probate. And the purpose of having a trust is primarily to avoid probate so that you don't go through there. What the person needs to do is get a tax identification number for the trust, which is now an irrevocable trust, and then use that tax ID number to open one or more bank accounts in the name of the trust so that the property can be sold and the proceeds uh, reported properly to the IRS under that tax ID number. We're coming up now on the first break for the show today. Uh, Again, if you want to give me a call, it's 800 516-1220. But um, when we come back after the break, I'll talk with you then. This is attorney Bob Bergman. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. Well, I've been informed that I have a caller, uh, Janet from Mountain View. So, uh, Marco, can you put Janet through, please? Hello, Janet? Oh, hi, Mr. Bergman. Yes, Yes. oh, please call me Bob. Mr. Bergman was my dad. (laughs) Uh, My question is, if I'm incapacitated between my living trust successor trustee and my durable power of attorney, what does each can do with my finances? That is, uh, what's the division of duty between the successor trustee and the durable power of attorney? That's an excellent question because, um, thank you for asking that, because there, there are distinct divisions of responsibility between those two jobs that you have in an estate plan. Your successor trustee, who would take over if you become incapacitated, is responsible solely for handling property, whether it's personal property, bank accounts, things like that, 
or real estate that's actually owned by your trust. And that's all that that person is responsible for is handling property owned by the trust, investing it, collecting monies, things like that. The agent under a financial power of attorney is responsible for anything that you own that's not owned by your trust, which would include typically things like retirement plans, IRAs, 401ks that cannot really be owned by a living trust. Um, Also may be responsible for exercising things like stock options, if you have stock options, but is also the person responsible for getting your tax return filed and dealing on your behalf with all the various government agencies that may be out there, like the IRS, Franchise Tax Board, DMV, uh, the Medicare program, the Medi-Cal program, Veterans Administration, and dealing with the court system on your behalf. I mean, someone might be incapacitated because they were in an accident, and the person who injured them is now being has to be sued because they're refusing to pay for the injuries. That's where the agent under a financial power would come into play. So it can be the same person. And if you think of it as like wearing different hats, to determine which hat the person puts on, you look and say, what is it we're trying to do? If it's something to do with your house that's in the trust, you put on the successor trustee hat. If it's something to do with pulling money out of an IRA because you need some money to pay for something, then it's the financial agent hat. Did that answer that for you? Uh, yes. Thank you very much. Okay. Anything else I can answer for you? Uh, that's all at this time. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you so much for calling, Janet, in Mountain View. So those of you who were following that, um, that was actually uh, just a, that was a great question because a lot of people confuse a trustee, an agent under a power of attorney. They're different jobs. Uh, They have different responsibilities. And uh, I kind of like describing the various jobs in an estate plan. You have like a successor trustee, a financial agent, a health care agent, and then you have the executor under a will. Now, a lot of people will call the successor trustee the executor of the trust. They're completely different jobs. Um, and you you would never have an executor of a trust. That's only when there's a will that goes into the probate process. But if you think of all the different jobs in an estate plan, another one being guardians for minor children, they're kind of like a sports team that works together, um, but works together as a team. Probably the closest analogy might be a football team. That's American football. Uh, where you have a quarterback and linemen and a running back and, and a fullback, and then you have ends and wide receivers. And depending on what you're trying to accomplish on a play, that determines which player or players are involved in the play. So if it's something to do with filing your tax return, well, you call the financial agent. They're the one who's called to run that play because they're the one in charge of that. If you're in the hospital and a decision has to be made whether or not to to uh, do a medical procedure and you're now incapacitated and you can't communicate with the doctors anymore, well, that's where your health care agent 
would come into play. So we're going to run the health care play. We have the health care agent do that. The successor trustee, the financial agent, don't have anything to do with the health care decisions. So what we have is a division often of labor and responsibilities. And I do have a number of clients that will actually name different people to fill those different jobs. For example, they may want their their daughter Jane to be the successor trustee and the financial agent because Jane's really good with investing and numbers and understands those things. But then they may want to have their son John as their primary healthcare agent because John would be better at making the tough decisions that might need to be made that maybe their daughter Jane wouldn't be able to make because she might be paralyzed at the thought of actually telling doctors to stop treating a parent or turn off life support or things like that. Uh, And then at the same time, um, they might name their son John to be the guardian for their two other children that are minors as opposed to their daughter Jane. Um, Because it may be that John might be married, already have young kids of his own, and uh, Jane's unmarried and has never raised kids, and might be, and so John might be better suited to be the guardian. So there's nothing that says that you have to go with the oldest child to be in charge of things. Being the oldest doesn't necessarily translate to being the most skilled or the most competent. I find that when you're talking about things like successor trustee and financial agent, it's most important to have someone that's going to be trustworthy because they're handling money and property and someone that will be willing to go and get assistance from professionals, if necessary, to help them do their job. I don't expect a successor trustee to know how to sell a piece of real estate, for example. You have realtors or real estate brokers for that. I don't expect them to know how to do the tax returns. We have accountants for that. Uh, And then also doing all the investing. Well, there's financial advisors and financial planners that can assist with that. So I'm very big on naming people that you trust and that people that are trustworthy and also not know-it-alls. And by that, I mean people who are willing to go and get professional assistance to help them handle things that they don't have expertise for. It's the person who thinks they know how to do everything about everything that tends to get into trouble when they're handling money or property or decisions for someone else who's now incapacitated. So we're coming up uh, to the midpoint of the show. Uh, We already had one caller, Janet, from Mountain View. Thank you for calling, Janet, by the way. Uh, The number is 800-516-1220. You can call in now if you want to have me come back to you after the mid-show break. Um, Until then, though, this is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio. Thank you for listening so far, and we'll get back to you after the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. Well, before the break, um, 
I was talking about uh, a number of different issues, but I'm going to go on with some new things here now because um, I have some interesting comments from around the state, Uh, one from the Bay Area here, one from L.A., and one from the Sacramento area. Let me talk about the uh, Bay Area one first. Okay, person said parents had an A-B trust. Now, what that refers to is a trust that is to be divided at the death of the first spouse into a share of the surviving spouse and a share of the deceased spouse, with the deceased spouse's share put into an irrevocable trust, typically called a bypass trust or exemption trust, for the benefit of the surviving spouse. Now, here it says... When mom died, dad failed to administer the trust, which means that he didn't actually do the division that the trust required. (coughs) So uh, dad passed recently, and a copy of an addendum was found at his house. Now, the document is not notarized, and it's not an original. It's just a copy. The AB trust does not show any such document, and the attorney was unaware of any additions or changes while the father was alive. Now the brothers are refusing to show me the trust, and they claim the copy is legal. So the question is, is a non-notarized copy of an addendum that wasn't added to the original trust legal? It's not completely clear from this what the person means by an addendum. If they mean an amendment that would actually change the terms of the original trust. But an, but an amendment or an addendum that was written up by the father after the mother died may not be valid at all unless the trust permitted the father to, to make a change to the original trust after the mother died. In the case of an A-B trust, it's likely that the only change that could be made would be made to the survivor's share of the trust and not, in this case, the mother's share after the mother died. Now, there's no particular requirement that a trust in California be notarized or even that you have the original as long as you have a a photocopy that can be identified as, you know, yes, this was actually signed by this person, um, we recognize the signature. I've actually done an entire trust administration before with just a copy of the original trust because the original trust was actually, uh, we believe, was actually stolen from my client's house when a family member visited uh, my client who was dying at the time. And uh, we think actually told, took the entire estate planning binder of my client, I think in a misguided attempt to to try and undo my client's estate plan, we actually used a copy of the trust to do the administration. We didn't need the original. But there's actually no requirement that, it, that a, a trust or a change to a trust be notarized at all or witnessed or anything like that unless the trust itself requires that changes be notarized, or if it is notarized, if the trust requires that any changes follow the same formalities as the original trust, which would mean dated and signed and notarized. So it's probably legal. 
I think the bigger question here is not whether or not the addendum is legal, meaning like legally signed, but whether it actually has any legal effect, which is different uh, for the reasons that I, I already stated here. Now, here's something, and, and I know this comes up all the time. Um, this is kind of a cautionary tale. This person said, I'm a co-trustee and co-beneficiary to my late mother's estate. I want to hire an attorney to assist me in closing out the estate without me having to have any in-person contact with the other co-trustee, co-beneficiary, um, who is my sibling. Hint, never let siblings be co-trustees. <laughs> well, what, what this person's saying is, Mom set up a trust and named me and my brother or sister as co-trustees after she was gone, and we can't stand each other, and we don't get along at all. I would agree with that sentiment. Whenever I have a client that says, I would like to name all of my children as successor trustees after I die, I say, first of all, I don't recommend that. I think it should probably be one at a time. But the main question I ask is, do your children get along? And I've actually had someone say, nope, they don't get along at all. But if I do this, they'll have to work together after I die. And I, I kind of say, no, they don't have to work together. You're just kind of setting them up to get into even bigger fights than they're having right now while you're still alive. I generally recommend that there be one trustee at a time handling a trust. It doesn't mean that other siblings can't be helping out by, you know, running errands, being kept informed what's going on just in case one of them has to take over in the future. But having one at a time means that things can actually happen in a timely fashion. You don't need multiple signatures to do anything. But the other thing is, if the children literally don't get along, then naming one of the children at all is probably a bad idea. You're probably better served going and naming a professional trustee who has no skin in the game, no dog in the fight. You know, insert whatever cliched metaphor you want. Basically, has no particular interest in the outcome, but is just there to implement what the trust says to do and doesn't care about the personalities of the various family members or that when I was five years old, my seven-year-old brother took away my favorite toy, whatever it happens to be. I mean, people often hold on to anger and animosity and bitterness for many, many years, and it often starts in childhood or young adulthood and stays around there. So because of that, if you have siblings that really just don't get along, it's best uh, best that you name someone outside of the family to handle things, whether it's a close family friend, whether it is respected family member such as an aunt or uncle, or whether it's a professional trustee. Um, naming a professional trustee has the major advantage that they are more skilled at what they're doing as a general rule, and they also don't particularly care how the children feel about things because the issue is not how they feel. The issue is, are they being treated fairly in the administration of the trust after the parent or parents has died? 
That's the issue, and that's really the only issue that's relevant. So I'm going to cover one more thing before the uh, third break in the show. And this is kind of an interesting one. Here, uh, the parents set up an irrevocable family trust when they're both still alive. Their, their son, John, is a named beneficiary of the trust. So at some point in time, and here it says 2012, a trust distribution was made by the parents to John, a check made out to John only. John and his wife separated in 2017. John's wife is claiming that the trust distribution from John's parents is community property, meaning property of the marriage, and not the separate property of John. Uh, John's wife was not a named beneficiary of the trust, at least not when the distribution was made. Now, John's attorney is not convinced that this is his sole and separate property because it was not an inheritance. Now, let's explain something here. Any gift, whether while someone's alive or gift after they've died to an individual, if they're married, is their sole and separate property under the law. What they do after they receive the gift may turn it into community property. For example, if you take that check made out to you, endorse it, and put it in the joint bank account with your spouse— then you have probably made a gift of half of that check to your spouse because you've kind of made it community property by how you used it. But if you take that money, you put it in a separate bank or brokerage account in your individual name, and you keep it completely separate from the marriage. You don't take money out of that account to use to pay for things in the marriage, like to pay for house payments or trips, vacations or the property taxes, or even income taxes, stuff like that. You keep it completely, utterly separate from the marriage. There's no real way it could be claimed as community property. So here, it doesn't matter if the parents are alive when they made this gift or if it comes after they're dead. Um, It's not community property, and I think John's attorney who's suggesting that he or she thinks that it It could be community property. I think they're completely wrong. That tells me that John's attorney is either not an estate attorney or a family lawyer or both. And so they're kind of guessing at something where they really don't have an expertise to decide that. Well, we're coming up on the third break of the show today. Uh, I am willing to take some calls in the final segment. Uh, It's 800-516-1220, 800-516-1220. Or you can email me your questions at radio at lawbob.com. I'll be checking that as well throughout the show. Sometimes people send me emails there. But until we come back after the break, this is attorney Bob Bergman, Plan Your State Radio. And I'll talk to you again after the last break for the show today. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. I welcome back for the final segment of the show today. Um, I have um, 
looks like three or four more of these situations from around the state to to cover before we call it quits today. Um, by the way, uh, it's a beautiful day here in San Jose. I, I don't know what it's like in the rest of the Bay Area, but we have um, beautiful temperatures outside. It's a little bit warm, light breeze. One of the reasons that reminds me why I live here in the Santa Clara Valley, I've, I've lived here over 50 years, and it's hard for me to visualize living anywhere else in the country that could have the kind of weather that we have here as a general rule in the Bay Area. So shout out to you, Bay Area, for having great weather today. Now here's a question out of Cameron Park, California. Um, Cameron Park, I think, also uh, sometimes called uh, Shingle Springs, if I'm not mistaken. What if a beneficiary refuses to communicate with the attorney or trustee in an estate distribution? Can the other beneficiaries get their inheritance? In this case, it says, our sister's not communicating. She's not acknowledging receiving email. We'll probably not sign for certified mail. If she doesn't sign paperwork, do we still get our money from the estate? Well, the short answer is just because one beneficiary is refusing to cooperate doesn't mean the other beneficiaries have to wait around for months or years in order to get their inheritance. If the trustee wants to be completely clear about this um, and we have a beneficiary that's not responding at all, the trustee always has the option to put together the distribution plan and petition the court in the county where this is located send notice to beneficiary who's refusing to communicate and then get a court order to the effect that the distribution will be made. Then if the beneficiary can't be found or refuses to make the distribution, the trustee always has the ability to pay the inheritance into the court um, and then give notice to the beneficiary saying, hey, your inheritance is over here. If you want it, go get it at the court because we want to close out this estate and uh, you're just not cooperating with the program. Um, It's kind of an extreme thing to do, but it may be the only thing left to do ultimately if if you're not getting any kind of cooperation from um, from the beneficiary. Now, here's someone that says, I don't have much at all, just a minimal bank account and rent that I pay. But my sentimental possessions and car need to be taken care of. I'm a U.S. citizen. I've named my sister as the sole beneficiary and executor of my estate, but she lives in the U.K. I understand that powers of attorney in California can't take of things like items like this after death. Do I need to change my will to indicate that my cousin's power of attorney can take charge? No. All you really need to do is, is, in this case, is name your sister in the UK as the executor of your will and the beneficiary. And as long as you have property in your name when you die that's well under $150,000 total value, then your sister in the UK could easily take over your car and other possessions without going through the court system at all. It's... um even including the bank account. Uh, you could do what's called an affidavit of small estate value, and the affidavit of small estate value would be given to the bank to get the bank account. Uh, the car can 
be taken over, re-registered at the DMV, and then probably sold, because I don't think it's going to be shipped back to the UK for the sister that's there. But um, this is actually a pretty straightforward situation that's being described there, and it's a lot um, it's it's a lot less complicated than um, people might think it would be. So here, let's see. A person asked, "I made out my last will and testament today. Is it good right away?" And this person said, "Someone told them it takes two years for it to be good." Not sure where information like that even comes from. I've never heard of that notion before, but it's something probably on the internet or someone heard someone or overheard someone. No, a will is valid immediately the date that you sign it, as long as it's signed with the proper formalities um, and it's in and it's in the right format. Uh, the will is valid immediately when you sign it, and when you have it witnessed, it doesn't have to age for a couple of years. Um, It's not like, you know, cheese or wine that you put away so it can age for a while. No, it's good right away. Um, You you can kind of drink it right out of the tap, so to speak. So I wouldn't uh, consider that to be uh, much of a problem at all there. Now, I have one more today. We're we're at about, uh, I think about a minute and a half left in the show. This person says, I inherited a house do I have to sell it to pay other beneficiaries if they didn't get their gifts under my grandparents' trust? So, grandparents created a trust, left the house to mom, money to me, my brother and uncle. There wasn't enough money to pay the monetary gifts. Uncle's demanding mom sell the house so he can get paid. Now, mom doesn't have to sell the house, but mom has to maybe borrow money against the house to pay off the uncle. Because if he's entitled to a cash gift, um, he's entitled to receive that uh, as part of the distribution. So we're winding up for the day. We've got less than 30 seconds to go. I hope you've enjoyed this. And um, I'll be back next week. I do have seminars coming up. You can go to lawbob.com. And I now have the seminars listed right at the top showing dates and times and direct links. So until next week, this is attorney Bob Bergman. Talk with you then. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.